Hey, this is Paul from Angerhead, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. Keep it metal. Hey, Metalheads, Scott Thompson here, and uh, of course, if you're hearing my voice, it means it's time for yet another episode of Focus on Metal. So this week, we pick up where we left off last week, talking with producer and songwriter, musician, all-around good guy, Jason Slater, as we talk about the years that he was involved working with Queensryche. So last week, we went through you know, how he initially got involved with Queensryche and some of the stuff he did and uh, what he did on Operation Mindcrime 2, as well as American Soldier. So if you missed that episode, well, we have you covered multiple ways. So one way that you can uh, hook up with that is go up onto iTunes and check either one of our iTunes feeds and look for episode 375 from last week. And there you go. You'll have the whole rundown from Jason as to uh, Operation Mindcrime 2 and American Soldier. Also, if you want, you can, of course, always head up to focusonmetal.net. That's our main site. And right there on the uh, main page is a big old button there to go to 375 or up on the top in the menu bar, go up to the episodes page. And right there, there's a link to either download or stream the episode right to your little metal ear holes. But of course, if you're listening to us on one of our internet radio affiliates, don't do that right now. Because if you do, then you're going to miss this episode and you're going to be back in the whole same damn loop. So if that's what you're doing, sit tight, listen to this great talk with Jason this week. And then after that, you can go back and listen to what you missed last week. So like I said, this week, picking up from where last week was, and I have to say that uh, Jason really is uh, pretty forthcoming with a lot of stuff, and I swear he probably could have done an hour or more just on every single album that he was involved with. But uh, we were just grateful that uh, he gave Richie... Uh, even the two hours of time over a couple of days to talk about all that he did. So this week, we roll into uh, talking about the Take Cover album, which actually came between the last uh, the albums from last week, as well as Dedicated to Chaos, and then that uh, Queensryche in uh, quotation marks release, Frequency Unknown. And also this week, and we kind of teased it last week as well, is that uh, on this one, uh, Richie actually got to talk a little bit more with uh, Jason about his experiences with Ronnie, just to kind of flesh it out, because, you know, everybody really likes to hear the Ronnie stories. He's been uh, so big in a lot of performers' lives, so it was uh, it was nice to get a little more detail, a little more information on what it was like to work with the late, great Ronnie James Dio. And, you know, just to set the record straight, got to say that Richie and I are both Big Queensryche fans. I've actually bought the first initial Queensryche stuff on vinyl pretty much in the first couple weeks that they've came out. So I've been doing this uh, this Queensryche thing for a long time. And uh, we, you know, we've gone to see the uh, current band live a couple times as well. And I think, you know, the last couple albums were absolutely fantastic. So I don't want you to think that, you know, we're doing this to, to bash on Queensryche. The guys in the band are awesome. 
current lineup is really kind of bringing back a lot of the stuff that I personally like about Queensryche. This is really just a case of that we have an opportunity to really uh, set the story straight on a lot of stuff. We have a great guest who's willing to do that. And we know that one of the reasons you guys listen to this show, just like you do to other shows like Talking Metal and Decibel Geek and Radioactive Metal and that bastion of all things straight talk, the classic metal show, is you want to get kind of the, the first-hand account of a lot of these things. So uh, that's what we're doing here, not trying to be bashing on uh, on any band or any person or anything like that. Just trying to give you the straight scoop from uh, the people that were there and saw it with their own eyes. So that is what you are in for this week. So thanks for spending another uh, week with us, and I'm going to turn it over to Richie and our guest this week once again, Jason Slater. Hey, how you doing? All right, Jason. You, you've been up all night again? Yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you said that Ronnie James Dio did his track in say thirty minutes, right? So, did you? Yeah. Did you ask him to uh, maybe sing on some other stuff as well? Because he had the whole day booked. Yeah, I mean, you know, he did. He did multiple takes, and then I think, you know, there's there's definitely some there's another song somewhere on a hard drive that he that he's you know did his thing on and you know he's he's kind of just that good where like <laughs> uh his first take is is you know better than most people's tenth okay um so i think there's you know I think there's another song floating around somewhere you know it's one of those things where you know a lot of people don't really understand how all this works but you know I don't own that music and don't have the rights to really do anything with it. <laughs> yeah. Are, are, are we talking um, tracks that appeared on the album? Because on the original album, I think that the guy's voice was on a couple of different songs and like Ronnie's is only on one on, on Mind Crime too. Yeah. I think I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm 99% sure that we, we, we did another song that, that uh, just never got finished or something. Okay. I've got to dig through some drives and see what's there. <laughs> okay. Has anyone ever um, prodded you on the shoulder and said, look, do you have any unreleased Ronnie stuff? Because I'm sure all that stuff is gold now. Yeah, you know, at one point, um, you know, I was trying to get in touch with Wendy Dio to see if there was, you know, any way to use outtakes or anything like that for any projects. But I think that, you know, she was getting just inundated by people who were wanting to do tribute records and everything else at the time. And, and uh, you know, it was probably quite busy. Yeah, yeah. And when, when, you, talk um, about, when, you, when you talk about the Ronnie stuff that, that's done, is, does he sing on the whole track or does he just do half it? Like, how does that work? I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think back it was so long ago but i think it i think it's a verse you know okay. I, I don't think it's a whole anything <laughs> yeah. did you did was he brought in to just do the one song or did, did he come in knowing that he might be asked to do more i'm not sure you know my understanding was was that he was gonna there, i think there were two things that jeff wanted him to sing on um, and we knew that one of them was going to make the record for sure. And I think that's called the chase. Yep. Um, and that was, you know, a pretty integral part of the story. And so it was really about, you know, 
getting that one happening. Yeah. And then I think, uh, shit, I think when, when Queen Drake played Universal Amphitheater or whatever in LA, I think Ronnie actually came and sang on that. I remember running around and nobody had anything set up to record. So I ended up hooking everything up to some cameras or something to record the audio. <laughs> yeah. Did, did he even rehearse for that or did he, he probably just went down no. and sang it? Yeah, he, I think he just showed up. <laughs> wow. Nice. Yeah, he, I, I've never seen anybody, you know, obviously I'm a huge fan, you know, but, but you know, yet and still, I've never seen anybody just be able to walk in and just pull shit off the way that he did. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, I guess it's years in the game, you know. Yeah. Like, I think it was Scott Warren said to me that he'd scream into a towel for a couple of seconds and then he'd just go out and sing. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of kind of that simple. I mean, some people it just comes out of them, you know, like Ian Gillen. You know, it's like that, that's just what he sounds like. Yeah, <laughs> I think Ronnie is very much the same way. Yeah. So w- one of the albums I didn't touch on yesterday, and it was in between, um, I believe, Mind Crime and An American Soldier, was the the Take Cover album. Oh God! Yeah. yeah. Um. Was that recorded around the same time as Mind Crime or closer to American Soldier? It was kind of in between. So, you know, what happened with that was, um, I, I don't know where the idea came from or whether they just owed the label a record or something, but I got a call, you know, saying that they were going to do a cover record and, you know, gave me a list of songs and, I was supposed to, you know, go out and produce it and everything. So I worked up, you know, cover versions of the songs and got them all recorded and arranged so that, you know, pretty much all that had to happen was people sit down and copy what was there and add whatever they wanted. Um, and I think I was, I was only involved for like past that point. I think I was only involved for a couple of weeks and then it just, you know, became a Kelly thing. And I think he did a great job on it. It sounds really good. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know about some of the song choices. <laughs> yeah, they were a little but, bit uh, odd, some of them. Yeah, I, I did a yeah, I did what I thought was a, a, a really cool version of uh, Welcome to the Machine. Yeah. But uh, for whatever reason, I think that, you know, they were hearing it differently. They did like a really kind of crushing version of it. Um, and it, you know, it came back sounding very different, but you know, it's their record. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I, I'm sure that it ended up much closer to the way they wanted it, which is the way it should be. <laughs> okay. So did the band play on it? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, you know, you know, my, my involvement was like purely sitting in my studio and, kind of working up arrangements and, and ideas for those songs so that there was a starting point. And, uh, you know, I think I went out to Seattle for, you know, maybe a week or something and Kelly had it under control. There was no reason for me to be there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at it here and like some of the song choices are like way out there. So I, I can imagine the ones that they suggested that didn't make it. Yeah. I mean, you know, for me, it was like, you know, I was I was kind of pushing for like some old UFO songs. 
things like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, something maybe off of like Maiden Killers, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> but you know, uh, you know, I think that the way that it worked out was kind of each dude picked out the song or two. Maybe they each picked a couple songs. Yeah. So I, I remember working on a. I don't even know what's on that record, but I remember working up a a cover version of uh, the police's synchronicity. That's on it. Yeah, that was tough. <laughs> Who picked that one? Was it was it Jeff or Michael or if you remember? I, I think it was Scott. Okay. Yeah, I think it was Scott. It, 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 it's hard to remember. I, I know that Jeff picked uh, one of the songs. I think it was like a Creedence Clearwater song or. It's like one of those like sixties hippie songs that's in every Vietnam movie. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm spacing. That was a while ago. Yeah. Um, like some, there's a couple of lines after each song from one of the band members. Like, like Mike Stone has got a few lines in there. Did he was he picking songs at that stage as well? I think so. You know, like you know, Mike came in as a hired gun, and then. You know, I think, you know, he wasn't a band member in the sense of like having the same kind of weight and say as the dudes who have been in the band their entire lives. Um, but, you know, you know, he's a he's a super talented guy, you know, and has great ideas. and He's actually a pretty good engineer. Um, you know, so I think that he had a fair amount of influence, you know, for a period of time. Okay. And he's a pretty incredible dude. I mean, that guy can play anything with strings on it well. <laughs> Did he get on with the other guys? Like, a, you know, was there a personality thing in the end? Do you think? No, I mean, you know, I think, I think a lot of it just had to do with the fact that he lives in Wisconsin, and like, just that traveling and, and having to plan to fly around all the time. I think got to be a bit much. Yeah, just, but you know, I think I saw him live. I, 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 when I was in Ireland, I deliberately scheduled one of my vacations in 2004 to see Judas Priest play with Queensryche. And yeah. the Mind Crime 2 album was not, it was just coming out. And the funny thing is now when you, when you tell me who, you know, who's played on it, um, they did I'm American in the set and none of the guys on the yeah. stage except for Jeff actually played on the album on that song, <laughs> which is when Mike was, um, I think Mike was in the band, Mike would have played on it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it was a it was a weird thing. You know, I felt it, it put Wilton in a really tough spot because you know, uh, Mitch Mitchell Dorn, the guy who played those solos, is like, I think he was like twenty two or something at the time, and like he was just all about like Petrucci and Paul Gilbert. <laughs> oh wow, so he's just doing sweet picking and all kinds of insane shit all over the place. And I was trying to kind of rein him back a little bit, like, dude, Wilton's going to have to learn this shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, you know, to his credit, you know, I think Mike ended up just, just writing, you know, his own solos that worked for the live stuff. Yeah. Cause it was, it was definitely like, a, you know, I, I think he could have played that stuff, but there would have been stuff like sweet picking and stuff that he would have had the woodshed on for a while to, to get it together. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's just such a weird, you know, it, it, it's a, you know, you want to make the best record you can, but you don't want to put the guys in a bad spot. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Um, so, so it just, you know, it's just one more thing that, to, that you have to consider as you're trying to finish. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I think Mike Stone was really kind of mostly aware of that. Like he was, you know, trying to play rhythms and things that would work. Okay. And, and not like get too crazy with the, you know, palm muting Metallica battery type. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't, uh, that wouldn't go with Queen Rex music at all. Wouldn't work. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, so let's, let's move on to, um, dedicated to chaos. And at this stage, after talking to you for well over an hour, I have yeah. to ask the question, like, why did you keep going back and working with the band when you even said yourself that you've never worked with a band like them before? It, it was a weird thing, you know. Um, Susan and I became you know, pretty good friends. Well, I thought we were good friends. Okay. And, and it, it, was, it was always kind of kind of this last-minute um, we're stuck, we need your help, can you come out and do this? It'll be different this time. Uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and it was always pretty much the same. Uh, uh, dedicated to chaos. You know, like, just from the outset, it didn't feel right. Um, you know, I'm not a big fan of that record at all. <laughs> I like it, actually. Um, yeah. Yeah, I like some of it. I, it gets it gets absolutely hammered by most of the fans, but I think there's some really good stuff on it. It's not brilliant. There's a song, called, there's a song called What We Do, spelled W-O-T. Yeah, I've got and it in front of me. That really bothers me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was just a really... You know, I, I definitely was feeling like there was, you know, issues, but I didn't know what they were. So kind of what was happening was... Um, you know, Kelly was working with everybody in the band and I was working with Jeff. <laughs> and so Jeff and I were kind of getting songs together and all of that stuff. And, you know, Kelly was, Kelly was recording everyone else and, and getting that stuff together. And at a certain point, it was kind of like take cover. It just kind of got to a point where I felt like I contributed everything I could contribute and I left. <laughs> okay. Um, and, you know, like those records, the ones where I kind of just kind of did my job as a as a songwriter and you know a bit of a, a producer and and you know leaving it to Kelly to record. Those records sound better, you know. Um, it's it's pretty, you know, almost every other record that that I've made, sort of like you know my own bands, maybe two or three other ones. If I'm producing, you know, I'll hire an engineer. And if I'm, you know, engineering, there'll be a producer. Um, it's incredibly hard to focus on all of that and get it done right. Okay. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I think that that, that setup of, of me kind of coming in and providing some creative seeds and things like that, and, and then, you know, letting... Kelly do his thing worked out for the better. I think mostly because those guys are really comfortable with him. Uh, and you know, he's really good. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I noticed when Kelly came back, cause like he'd been in the band before every album yeah. started, he was doing with the band. I was always waiting for them to have the press release saying Kelly's going to come back in the band. And with this one, they got Parker Lundgren in the band. And I was like, I thought they would have got Kelly back for this one. 
you know, it was really weird. You know, Parker was like a rockabilly guy. And so when he first showed up, I was, you know, having to hit him to metal stuff. <laughs> you know, he's that much younger. He, he just, you know, he didn't grow up listening to metal. Yeah. You know, he's, he's a hell of a guitar player, but, you know, when he first showed up, it was like, I don't know about this. <laughs> but he was married to Jeff's daughter, wasn't he? Yeah. And, uh, you know, one thing about the Tates, it's like, you know, they put everybody to work. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's a good thing, though. You know, I mean, you know, they hire their friends, you know, like if somebody needs a job, they got a job for them. Okay. Um, but sometimes that, you know, sometimes those people aren't qualified and so things become difficult. <laughs> but you know, most, most times it, it, it's cool. But, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, as much as uh, there's shit that really, really bothers me, I, I kind of admire that about them is that, you know, to some extent, uh, you know, for some periods of time, they take care of the people around them. <laughs> Until yeah. they no longer, until they no longer have use for them. <laughs> <laughs> now, why, why? Looking back on it now, why do you think Jeff wanted to work with you and the other three guys didn't? Like, was there one thing that happened, or was it just a gradual thing? You know, for whatever it was, it was like we could always sit down and make songs, you know, and it was relatively painless, and maybe they weren't. You know, maybe all of them weren't things that could work in Kloonsrike, but, you know, we never, we never got to a spot where, you know, we, we were just kind of butting our heads against the wall or whatever and, and couldn't write. Um, and, you know, the, those, those collaborations are kind of rare, you know, like, I always feel like, you know, if you work with somebody else, you're going to get better results for, or, or maybe just be more productive. Um, but you know, to me, it felt like we always made good shit, you know, yeah. even if it wasn't something that was going to work in Queen Drake, it was something that I was proud of. I mean, I have a hard drive full of songs. Um, and you know, the other side of it was, you know, fuck, I grew up listening to Queen Drake. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it, it, if you're writing songs, it doesn't suck to have Jeff Tate singing on the demos. <laughs> Fair point. You know, I yeah. mean, it, it's it, it's one of those things that you can find out really quick whether your song's worth the shit or not. You know, by having a great singer sing on it. Yeah. Um, and, and so that was that was pretty rewarding. Um, but you know, a lot of it, like as an example, you know, Jeff was had his solo band going out and, uh, you know, playing wineries or something. And, you know, Susan asked me if I'd play bass and I said, well, let's, let's see when the time comes. And, uh, so she calls a couple months later and says, you know, uh, if you can't, if you can't get out here by Wednesday, we're going to have to get somebody else to play bass. And this is like on a Friday. And I was like, we should probably get somebody else. Cause you know, it's too short a notice. I can't make it. Thursday rolls around. I didn't really have another bass player. I really need you to come out here. There's not going to be a bass player for the shows. Wow. <laughs> and it's like, fuck. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's one of those things, you know, at the time I really thought, you know, 
these people are good friends and so on and so forth. So I canceled my shit and I went and did that. And, you know, over time you just start to realize that it's largely just a manipulation. You know, it's, it's, we've tried everything else and, you know, <laughs> we need you. Okay. Um, you know, when, when I, get, when I got out there, there'd been another guy there that was playing bass and he'd switched over to keyboards. So I think what happened was they realized they needed a keyboard player. <laughs> okay. So, and that's kind of the way the records went too, you know, <laughs> yeah. it was always this kind of very last minute. Can you be here next week? Uh, so we need to start working thing. Um, and, you know, I think it was just because we spent so much time, you know, making mind crime too and, and living out there and, you know, hanging out with his kids and going to the movies and all that kind of shit. <laughs> you start to, you know, figure there's some kind of, you know, bond or friendship there. And then you do your last record with him and you don't see a check for five years or any accounting. <laughs> <laughs> and you realize there's probably not much of a friendship there after all. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's the music business. Yeah. If you're not getting, if you're not getting fucked, you're not working. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> all right. So, so when you went in to start writing, dedicated to chaos, was there a set direction on it at all? Because it's all stylistically, it's all over the place. No, I mean, you know, that, that, that what we do song was a hip hop song <laughs> I had on my computer <laughs> that Jeff liked the groove of, uh, you know, and so it became a song that ended up on the record. Okay. Uh, I, you know, if, if there was a, if there was a, a theme to it, I wasn't aware of it. You know, I think a lot, that record kind of was like, we went through all of the stuff that that I'd written and, and Jeff had written with me that didn't make it on the other records. And then there was, I think there was contributions from the other guys as well. But the, the things that, that I wrote that are on that record were, you know, all things that were written for American soldier, or, you know, a, a, a different project I was working on or, or, uh, mind crime too. Yeah. Do you think that there, there's there was contracts signed to do do albums? Pretty, at this stage, you were probably bringing out an album every year and a half, two years, and they were waiting too long to get started. So it was like shit. What what do we have that we didn't use on, on the on the earlier albums? Because that's that's the way it sounded. Yeah, I think I think you know I think there's like two things. It's like there there's if we start a record right now, we get a check. <laughs> And, and money's getting tight, so let's start a record right now. Um, and then there's the touring part of it, you know? So it's kind of like, I, I think a lot of it's just kind of, you know, financially based. Where, you know, you make a record and you spend a year touring on it and you come home and you relax and then you realize you're running out of money. <laughs> and, and, you know, you got a contract to make a couple more records, so you get it going as quick as you can. And that's just, I don't know. It, yeah. It's not ever been the way that I've done things, you know, like for, for almost every other record I've made in my life, you know, I probably put a good couple, few months of planning into it, you know, yeah, uh, of just making budgets and 
figuring out what studios and travel plans and pre-production and all that stuff. And, and that's kind of the routine that I've been in my whole life. And so just kind of like, we're making a record next week. <laughs> uh, you know, always just put me in a kind of awkward spot. Yeah. Now, Jeff, you were saying like you, on that album, you're really just you and Jeff working together and the other guys well, with Kelly Gray. Now, did the other guys ever ask you what ideas you had? Yeah. I mean, I sat down and, and I, I, I wrote with, with Wilton a bit. Uh, shit, I stayed at Scott's house for a while and he and I worked on some stuff. And, uh, you know, Eddie and I got together and worked on some things. As we got further away from Minecrime too, I think they were more open to working with me, you know, whatever. You know, there was never like a bad, you know, at least from from my side, and I never really felt it from them. There was not, not really a bad or anything. Okay. I think they just kind of felt like I was Jeff's guy. Uh, and, and, you know, I know how that is. It's not a cool feeling. <laughs> yeah. And did did Jeff talk to you at all about doing the cabaret shows? Because I think it was around that time he started doing those. Yeah, you know, I I I, I stayed home. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I I I caught wind of that, and you know, I, I don't know how well they did or didn't do. It just didn't seem like a. I don't know. I don't. I don't know that I want to see one of my favorite rock bands do that. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like I, I, I can't. I can't imagine Priest doing that. I can't. I can't imagine Maiden doing that. <laughs> yeah, that had to have been all Jeff. You know, I don't know for sure, but <laughs> <laughs> I'd imagine. You know. Yeah. I, 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 I can't. I can't imagine that like Wilton came up with that idea. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff is, you know, he's he's a he's a theatrical dude, you know. Like, it's part of what makes the band awesome, you know. Like, those Minecraft shows wouldn't have been those Minecraft shows if, you know, Jeff hadn't put so much effort into making them what they were. Yeah, I think he he really really enjoys that performance part of it. Yeah. Now, when the band imploded, right? Yeah. What surprised you most? How it happened, or the fact that it it, it didn't like come about until recently, because you'd worked with the band for years before that, and you you probably would have seen the signs. It was really you know, when I when when, when the prospecting doing Minecraft two came up, I actually went out on the road with them so that I could write and and be around Jeff and run ideas past him. Um, you know, I just never saw any signs of the kind of behavior and things that I heard about happening. <laughs> okay. And so it, it was really shocking. You know, I was like, I mean, I, you know, I've been kind of plenty of altercations in my life. Um, and usually by the time it gets back home, it's greatly exaggerated. <laughs> and so I, I figured that there was, you know, a fair amount of that going on. And, and then a fair amount of people, you know, kind of positioning themselves for a lawsuit or something. And so, you know, I think stories needed to be a certain way. You know, I just can't 
you know, I heard so many different crazy versions of it. I heard that somebody had a knife or some shit at one point. And it's just like, come on, give me a fucking break. Who told um, you? Remember who told you it happened? Uh, shit. I don't. I, you know, it wasn't any of the guys in the band for sure. Um, but it might've been, might've been somebody that works for him. It might've been a tech or somebody. Okay. Cause I think they were in like Brazil or something. Yeah. The, they were in South America. And I, one of the yeah. stories going around was that like Jeff spat at Scott when he was playing his drums on stage. And then there was the knife story and all these things started coming out. Yeah. You know, I, I just, you know, it, I, I'm, I, I'm not going to go as far as calling anybody a liar. I just can't see Jeff doing that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I can see Jeff, I can see Jeff singing and maybe like coughing up a lunger and spitting it out and maybe going in Scott's direction on accident or something. But I can't see him spitting on the dude on purpose. Okay. But, you know, again, I wasn't there. And, you know, it, it, the whole thing just seemed really unfortunate to me. It was like, there, there's just, it, I don't think it really had to go in that direction. Like, if those dudes just, you know, sat down and aired out their grievances a little more often, you know, if nothing else, they could have just kind of parted ways and done projects and been amicable. Yeah. I think, I think shit just built up for so many years. Now, and now from what I hear, Scott's not even playing in the band or something. Well, that's, that's, I don't know the story there, but, <laughs> one of the, one of the rumors going out is that he's back with Jeff. That's one rumor. Um, another one okay. is I think he said I think his his wife had a kid recently and he's taking a break. But they're in recording a new record, so a lot of people are saying like, is he even on the album? Well, the the, the singer guy plays drums, doesn't he? Yeah, Todd Latore. Yeah, isn't he like a, initially a drummer? Correct. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, as far as Scott and Jeff working together nothing would surprise me <laughs> you know i mean it's it's when i first kind of when I, around mind crime for whatever reason everybody was sour with kelly you know i i didn't know why you know didn't know kelly uh you know really none of my business and then you know kelly was back in the fold and everybody was happy uh you know not long after okay and it just, I think that, you know, I think those dudes have all known each other for so long, you know, that they're just going to get in fights and have pissing matches and stuff and get over it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be remotely surprised if, you know, they all worked everything out and got back together and started making records and playing tours again. Yeah. And now, when, when it all went down and they went to court, did you know you were going to be called or were you surprised? I had no idea. So, you know, um, I got a call from Susan saying that their attorney wanted to depose me. And I was like, fuck, you know, I've, I've been in plenty of lawsuits and it just wasn't some shit I felt like doing, uh, you know. And so I talked to their attorney and said, you know, a, I don't want to come to Washington and get deposed and be like, I'm, I'm not coming to any fucking hearings or any of that bullshit. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of just came down to, you know, can you write a letter explaining the process of making records, blah, 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 blah. 
and you know, I had to, I had to think long and hard. You know, it's like one of those things where it's, you know, you're kind of entrusted with a lot of shit when you're making records with a band, uh, and there's, you know, it's definitely shit that you kind of don't talk about. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, on the other hand, I had attorneys going, "Well, this is what we're hearing." <laughs> This is our understanding of how the records were made. Is this true? Uh, you know, and I wasn't going to get my, I wasn't going to perjure myself. I wasn't going to get myself in any bullshit. Um, and, you know, I tried to be as, I tried to be diplomatic, but it's one of those things where it's like, it's hard to, it's hard to explain the story, tell the truth and <laughs> not piss anybody off. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was still a little sour, you know, I, I you know, it's one of those things where, you know, especially nowadays, like you don't make that much money or very much money, um, you know, producing and engineering records. And so you kind of, up until recently, lived off your publishing. And, you know, with those guys, I was always put in a spot where I was giving them a percentage of my publishing. Um, and, you know, I was a bit sour that it was like, Okay, I wrote the fucking record. I played a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh and and I'm still, you know, you guys are getting the performance royalties from me playing <laughs> and you're getting the publishing from me writing. This is kind of bullshit. Um but you know, it's, it's kind of the way that it had to be. You know, th- those guys are that's their bread and butter. That's the only thing they do. Uh and it would you know, uh, to me, anyways, on the one hand, it would be wrong, you know, for them to have to go out and tour and sell this record and not, you know, get a percentage of it, essentially. Yeah. So it's just a weird balancing act. But, you know, it, it, at the time, it was just kind of, you know, it, it, nobody ever said thank you. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> now, when you went up and gave your deposition, were any of the other band members in the courtroom? Oh, you know, all I did was just kind of write it out. Oh, and, you didn't and, have to go and, in? No, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I, I just, I wrote it out and, and spoke to the attorneys and, and, and that was that, you know, I, my, my, my big thing was I didn't want to want to go into court and go into all of that shit formally, you know, like that stuff's all, you know, public record. And, you know, by the time attorneys are asking you 10 trillion questions, there's no way of getting out of it without fucking throwing people under the bus, mm-hmm. you know? So for me, I just, you know, I, I had to avoid that as much as I could. Yeah. So, the Frequency Unknown album, right? You, you must have yeah. thought you must have thought that that was it. You were never going to work with any of them again after all the breakup and the, the you know the, the court case and all that. So were you- well, that was that was that was a that was a fucked up situation. <laughs> you know, like initially, uh, you know, at least I was under the impression initially, you know, that we were making a Jeff Kate record. And then the court stuff got settled, and I guess he had the right to use the name or whatever, and you know it became a Queen Drake record. Um, 
if I can, man, I, I really like to just kind of throw an apology out there to Ty Tabor because, you know, I initially called him to have him play solos on Minecraft 2. And he was busy and I don't think he was comfortable doing it. And then we got back in touch with him about playing solos on this. And, you know, I figured he was talking to Susan. So he understood that it was, that had become a Queen Drake record and not a Jeff Tate record. And as it turned out, you know, he contributed his, his solo and his work, you know, with the understanding that it was a Jeff Tate record. And, you know, he really didn't want to get in the middle of that Queen Drake stuff. And, uh, you know, I just kind of always felt shitty that that happened. <laughs> well, he said, um, he, he said, amazingly he, nice dude. Oh, no, I've, I've, in, I've met him. I've interviewed him a few times. And I, the Bandies and Kings really? actually one of my favorites. Yeah, really good guy in one of my favorite bands. Yeah. But he, and that, that, that kind of, you know, that felt shitty. It was like, man. <sighs> he said he said recently in an interview when he was asked about this Frequency Unknown album that when he found out it was going to be a Queensryche record, he refused to do any promotion for it at all and even mention it because he thought it was going to be a Jeff Tate solo album. Yeah, I mean, you know, so a really weird thing happened with that record. It was, it was mixed quickly. It wasn't amazing sounding, but it wasn't bad. And, uh, the label called me and asked me to do some recalls and some remixes. And this was like, you know, I had like a week to do it. Uh, I busted my ass for a week and got it done and called the label and, uh, you know, sitting there, send this stuff over. Let me know what you think. Oh yeah. We've, we decided to have someone else mix it. <laughs> so I just like busted my, I was having surgery. So I, I was kind of trying to get this thing done before I was going in and having surgery, busted my ass <laughs> recalling mixes that they weren't going to use. And as it turned out, you know, Jeff insisted on recording his own vocals for that record. And so it was incredibly hard to mix because his vocals sounded really, really thin. Um, what he did was he went back and recorded his vocals over again with an engineer. Uh, and then they mixed the songs over again. But they kind of hung me out to dry. You know, they, <laughs> they, they uh, you know, the, the story was, was that, you know, the mixes sucked. And the first round of mixes sucked, but the recalls were fine. In reality, what it was was Jeff wanted to re-record his vocals. Okay. Um, and during that time, uh, you know, KK Downing had played a solo and he didn't know about the, the Jeff and Queen Drake issue, um, and didn't really want to have a solo on there. And, you know, I'm a big fan of KK's and mysteriously his solo went missing when they needed the files for the remixes. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I knew Ty had felt the same way. <laughs> wow. There's some, there's some great stuff on there. You know, uh, I'm a huge fan of Chris Pollan and he played a fucking amazing solo on that record. Yeah. Now, how, how many of the musicians did you get on it? Cause it's got like Paul Bostoff, Craig LeCicero. It's got an amazing yeah, I mean, lineup so, of musicians, but it's not Queen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it was one of those things where again, it was like, we went through the hard drives and found songs and, you know, I think I, I think I might've had a week's notice for that, uh, that we were making a record. Um, 
And I just started calling my friends up. <laughs> uh, I needed dudes, you know? And then, you know, as we kind of started, started the process, you know, Jeff called Rudy up and Rudy played bass on a couple songs. Um, you know, so on and so forth. Um, Simon came in and played drums on some stuff. And then, you know, the 10 trillion rag guitar players that came in and get, played solos. Um, did that they, part of it was awesome. Did they come into the studio and do it, or did they, like, send it in over email files? So some of them came in, like Brad Gillis came in, and that was awesome. That dude's amazing. Uh, and it was fun to hang out with him. So kind of the Bay Area guys came in. Yeah. Uh, Chris Poland sent his solo in. Ty sent his solo in. KK sent his solo in. Um, Dave Manichetti? Dave has a, a really nice studio at his house. So he recorded his, his solo at home and just brought it over. I can't remember who else was on there. Chris Canella, uh, and a band called Autumn's End. Robert Starzl. I, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Robert sent a solo in. And Kelly, too. Okay. As I recall. <laughs> no. I mean, that, that, thing, that thing was just like, it was like Legos, you know? <laughs> it, was, it was just pieces of songs coming in from all sides, and I had to make them fit somehow and, you know, <laughs> make, make a record. Mm. It, it wasn't the, you know... It, it's, you know, when you have, like, different drummers on every song, and I mean, the only real consistent thing on that record was is really me and and, and Craig LaCicero. Okay. Uh, you know, one of the songs was written by the dude who won that Rockstar Supernova show. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, it was, I literally just had shit flying from me at all sides. <laughs> wow. And had to piece this thing together. And, and yeah, I mean, it was, I'm always up for a challenge, but that one was a motherfucker. So who told you when you were doing it that it went from a Jeff Tate solo album to a Queensryche album? So like the initial phone call was that, you know, Jeff was making a record and that was kind of the extent of the conversation. Um, and then, you know, when we got into the studio and started working you know, I think the first time I realized it was like there was a mock-up of artwork or something that came in. Um, and it was like, well, all right. <laughs> um, you know, I, I knew just through conversation that Jeff could use the name if he wanted to, but, you know, for, I guess, a year. But the the last conversation that I heard about it was that he didn't want to do that. Um, so something changed in there, I guess. You know, it's, it's a tough thing because, you know, your band's splitting up, you know, a Queen Drake record is going to sell more than a solo record, more likely than not. Um, you know, you don't know what's happening next. So I, I can, I get that side of it, but, you know, you know, I don't know. <laughs> do, you, do you think, do you think that? when Jeff decided to use the Queensryche name that he rushed it to get it out before the other guys did. So he could say, I've got a Queensryche album out before you do. You, do. you know, I think if, shit, I don't even know if I should say this, but I think if anything else, it probably was a financial thing. You know, I think it was, I think it was get a record out and get some bread in the door type thing. Okay. 
I don't, I don't, I don't know that it was, you know, that malicious as to, because what's the difference, you know, at the end of the day, the better record's going to sell. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, for me, it's almost like I'd rather wait and see what the other guys did <laughs> and then try and top it. Um, you know, I don't think there's too much to gain from being first to market with it yeah. in that situation. Now, I, rem- um, I remember when this came out and people were talking about the mix being horrendous. And I'll be honest, yeah. it, I'm not a studio guy at all, but it did sound crap. Now, I, I did send off to the label. The label did promise that they'd actually ship you another copy free of the remix. So yeah. I actually have both of them. And there is a marked difference on the remix. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, so what kind of what went out is, is the initial mixes were really good rust mixes. You know, so my my plan was always kind of like how we did Minecraft too, which is to go back to my place and finish the shit. And it just didn't really work out that way. And, you know, it's one of those things that's like, when all that shit goes down, the last thing you want to do is go out and start making excuses. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It was way, way easier just to take the hit. And, you know, there was a guy, I think his name was Tim fucking Yasui or something at the label. You know, that's the dude that boned me. You know, it was like, oh, yeah, do recalls and get the mixes together and this, that, and the other. You know, and I think it was the day that I was supposed to turn those in that all that shit came out on the internet. There was some guy, Billy Sherwood or something that was saying, I'm mixing the, the Queen Strike record because it sounds like shit. <laughs> there was just all this stuff everywhere. And I was like, it's not done. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I thought I had another week, man. <laughs> they just put it out as is well, at the time. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it was that thing where, where, you know, there was there was a release date and that was going to get met no matter what. And, you know, scapegoating me wasn't that big of a deal because generally I'm a pretty forgiving dude. Um, and, you know, Jeff really wanted to re-record his vocals again. I mean, the biggest thing that, you know, I listened to the other version once. Um, you know, the thing that just struck me immediately was like, these are different vocal takes. <laughs> this isn't a remix. This has been all re-recorded. And then like a lot of the things that I did as far as like processing and delays and all that shit on instruments were the same. <laughs> okay. So whoever did that work kept a decent amount of the shit I did. Um, but all of the vocals are, are new for sure. You know, if you listen to the two, you definitely will hear that, uh, you know, the, the phrasing and things, even some words changed. Uh, and I, I guess, you know, Jeff knows I don't really listen to anything after I finish it. So I, I guess he thought it would just slide right past me. <laughs> With something like this, I wouldn't think so. With all the well, publicity. Yeah, I re- I, well, I didn't even realize it for like a year. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, I had some, I, you know, I'd, I'd given, it might've been Craig who told me, but, you know, somebody who had, you know, both copies went, Dude, they re-recorded the vocals. <laughs> and I went, oh, now it all makes sense. <laughs> That's why they weren't interested in the recalls. And, you know, they were, yeah. they were probably recording Jeff's vocals right at that moment. Yeah. So going but, through going through all this frequency on the unknown album, do you think that burned your bridges with Scott, Michael, and, and Eddie? Or was, like, was there any contact at all? 
No, but you know, like just with that whole band, there was never, you know, there was never any contact unless they needed me, you know, like we would be, you know, I'd be tight with the tapes while we were making a record. And from the day we were done, I probably wouldn't hear from them until they needed me for the next one. Or if there was some kind of problem or something that I could solve for them. Um, and you know, like I, I you know, I, I ran into, to whip the NAM show once, uh, you know, it was cordial, but you know, we don't run in the same circles, you know, I'm, I'm kind of between LA and, and San Francisco and those dudes are very, very much in Seattle and that's their thing. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I don't imagine that they, you know, um, we were never tight to begin with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just one of those, it's one of those things that I think it was just mostly because of of the circumstances, you know, I mean, before Minecraft two, there was a meeting where they all agreed and decided to hire me to do the record. And then after that, you know, whatever, something changed. <laughs> and I think it was just that, you know, me, Mike Stone and, and, and Jeff were all at Jeff's house and working around the clock and, you know, everybody has home studios and, you know, it, it, it wasn't rotating around everybody's different studios and people weren't, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've got, you know, I've never experienced a, a, a recording situation like that. You know, like if nothing else, like, you know, if people are suspicious or, or not happy with the direction, they usually show up more. <laughs> yeah. You know, to voice their opinion and try and, and steer things, but those suits are very different. Yeah. So, so final question for me, Jason. I'll just wrap it up. Yeah. If you were to get the four of them to sit in a room with you, right, knowing that you get an honest answer, right, and you could ask them anything, what question would you ask the four? Have you motherfuckers been stealing my money? I think that's about as honest as I can be. <laughs> okay. <laughs> do you ever think that, do you ever think they'll reform with Jeff? Yeah, you know, I think if they get broken us for sure. Okay. But like, you know, right now they're opening for the Scorpions. Um, you know, I don't know how much money is in that really, like you know, I mean those dudes kind of have you know reasonably expensive lifestyles. So, you know, I think they, they, they need to stay on the road. Um, but I think like once that stuff kind of starts to peter off, but then again, it's like, you know, they're not spring chickens, man. No. <laughs> There's not too much, too much time left. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope they do just for the sake of their friendships, man. I mean, those guys have known each other fucking forever, you know, and that's like the biggest drag to me is that, you know, these dudes have all been friends since they were like teenagers, man. Yeah. So, you don't get that very often in life, you know? Yeah. So, so Jason, what's the favorite record, Queen's Rec record you've worked on with them? <sighs> Fuck. I, you know, I guess Mind Crime 2, just because it's Mind Crime 2, you know? Okay. And, and as, as much as it didn't, as much as it ain't the original Mind Crime, 
it, it was exciting times and, and, a, and a, a good challenge. And, you know, I was, I was, you know, I was proud of myself for finishing. <laughs> yeah. It certainly sounds like it's the way you talk, you know, yeah, I mean, we faced, we faced a faced a lot of stuff on that, um, and you know, and it, for you know, for what it was, it, it it came out well. You know, I haven't listened to it in shit. I don't know, man, probably five or six years. Um, but last time I did, I was like, oh, it's, yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. There's okay. a couple songs on there. Nice. You know, I mean, there's there's definitely some like cringy moments. There was one song. Uh, one foot in hell, and and I needed to have like a vocal thing that rode through it, and the standard you know rock and roll you know Oz wouldn't work, and so we had to use ooze. And to me, it sounds like you know the Beach Boys or some shit, and it just bugs the shit out of me. And I wish I hadn't done that. Oh, yeah, the, the ooh, yeah, I know the part. Yeah. Of, uh, you still, you, still, you, you hate Oh, it was terrible. You know, Oz wouldn't work. <laughs> So we had to go with the ooze, and now it's forever like the rock Beach Boys Queensryche song. Oh, and, and Brian Heaton busts my balls like every week about it still. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jason. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure All talking right, to you again. And yeah, I'll shoot you some songs, man. Perfect. All right. Have a good rest of the day. All right, you too, brother. All right, Take thanks care. Thanks for the time. Bye. All right, there you go. Uh, two solid weeks with Jason Slater. And uh, I got to say again, big thanks to this guy for taking a ton of time out of his life, talking to Richie all about his time with Queensryche. And uh, even you can tell from the beginning of the last two uh, episodes as well that the dude is just coming off of a full night of work. And uh, still, there he is. Memory is pretty sharp and remembers all kinds of great stuff and is totally willing to talk about everything. So again, big kudos to uh, Jason Slater for spending so much time with us here last two weeks on Focus on Metal. So what's up for next week? Honestly, I don't freaking know yet. It's uh, it's just been uh, just a constant train of stuff coming in here at Focus on Metal. And uh, right now, I just, I don't even know. But the way things are going right now, like literally I could be done with this mix and five minutes from now, Richie could hit me up with a text and tell me that he's got an incredible killer interview sitting in Dropbox waiting for me. I mean, that's the way it's been working around here a lot lately is that honestly, Richie is even barely showing his face in the studio. He's got stuff going in his life. I've got stuff going in my life. And it's kind of a thing of almost like every seven weeks or so uh, pops in and uh, may have a discussion or something like that. But other than that, he's out there doing the hard work of talking to folks and uh, giving us a lot of this great content that we're hearing every week here on Focus on Metal. And of course, if you want to talk to the dude, you can always hit him up on Facebook. Guys, always up there, always willing to chat with listeners and metal fans alike. So uh, feel free to, to hit Richie up on our Facebook page. But anyways, for this week, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. Once again, Massive thanks for continuing to listen to us every week right here on Focus on Metal. But for now, for this week, for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, as always, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant.
here. It's over. Go home.